Please turn with me in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 5, where we continue this morning in this Sermon on the Mount that God has blessed us with through the teachings of our Christ and his, to his disciples. Matthew chapter 5 will be in verses 21 and 22 this morning. I'm hearing an echo. There was a place just southwest of the city of Jerusalem, right outside the wall. And this place is a, a historic place. It's a notorious place. Um, a lot of things happened in this location. Literally, and this place also serves as a very, very, very symbolic location. It's called the Valley of Hinnah. And if you look at Jerusalem on a map, you'll see that the highest geographical and spiritual place in Jerusalem is Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, where the temple sits. God had his temple built on the highest peak in Jerusalem, if you can call it a peak, hill. The lowest place in the city of Jerusalem was called the Valley of Hinnom. It's the lowest place geographically, yes, but it's also the lowest place spiritually. There's a lot that's happened in this valley. Uh, listen to this. In 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 3, just listen. Ahab, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals. And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering. Valley of Hinnom was a place where child sacrifice was prevalent way back in the day of Israel. And after seasons of reformation during the reign of King Hezekiah, King Manasseh comes in and starts repeating the crimes of Ahaz. We see that King Manasseh even offered his sons and daughters to the pagan god Moloch in the valley of Hinnom. Jeremiah called this valley the valley of slaughter. And he used it in Jeremiah 7 as symbolism towards the coming day and the coming wrath of God. That God would expose his wrath and rain down his wrath on his people for violating his commands in this very nature of the valley of slaughter, the valley of Hinnom. And over time, this valley became a very rejected place in the history of Jerusalem. In fact, so rejected that it became the trash dump, literally of the city of Jerusalem. And so people would take their trash down there, and not only that, they set the trash afire. And we know that this trash dump in the Valley of Hinnom, southwest of Jerusalem, burned without end, day after day, year after year. Jewish historians, real, live historians, tell us that the smoke from this trash dump incinerating fire, burned without end, and the smoke lingered in the valley of Hinnom without fail. 
over and over, day after day, year after year. And we will pay a visit to this fiery trash dump in just a little bit in this sermon. I set that to put that before your eyes because we are going to come back and visit this trash dump momentarily. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at what Jesus teaches us today about murder and anger. But I want to back up and I want to pick up in Matthew 5.17 to get ourselves in the context of this morning's passage. So we'll be preaching from... 21 and 22, but let's start back in 17 just to get ourselves in the right frame of mind. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And everyone who says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That's our passage for this morning. Let's pray. Father... Oh, Father, I pray that you would bless this time as we have gathered together around your word to hear this most important message. Father, we come here every week faithfully asking you to speak to us. And we do that this morning. I ask that on behalf of your people here this morning. I pray that we'd be challenged by this, that we'd be convicted by this, that we would be comforted by this and encouraged, and that we'd be changed as a result of encountering your word and the teachings of our Christ. And I pray it in his name. Amen. So Jesus here starts this passage, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Notice what he does not say here. Jesus does not say, you have read. He says, you have heard. So don't read too quickly. Let's understand why he says, you have heard. The Hebrews for all intents and purposes, have lost their language. They've gone into captivity, Babylonian captivity. And during this time, over the generations that lived in this captivity, they have lost their grasp of their very own language, Hebrew. And they have adopted the Aramaic language. But there were some some men that were preserving the Hebrew language, and they were called scribes and Pharisees. Remember now, Jesus has said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These scribes and Pharisees have retained the Hebrew language and they have been the ones that have taught and instructed the Israelites through their Babylonian captivity. We also know that the scribes and the Pharisees, as we talked about last Sunday night as a congregation, they created some documents. One was called the Mishnah. And another was was called the Talmud, which was basically a commentary on the Mishnah. And the people of Israel... And the people that Jesus is speaking to basically have heard the traditional laws of God 
through the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees because they've lost their language. So they had to rely on these scribes and Pharisees to understand the law of God. And as we saw last night, tragically, the scribes and the Pharisees added much to the law. Much. That's not real different than what happened in the centuries leading up to the Reformation in the 1500s. The Catholic Church had the law of God, but it was in Latin. And all the common people living in the world in, 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 in the area of Rome did not know Latin. And so they were dependent upon priests and bishops and the Pope to give them the word of God. And they twisted it to their own advantage. And it took Martin Luther to get the Bible into the hands of the common man so that the common man, including you and me to this day, can go and read God's law and understand and have a relationship with him directly. And I say that that's not real different from where we find ourselves today collectively as a church in the world. There are many that go to church today, and they don't read this for themselves. They rely on someone like me to stand before them. And the only Bible they get week in and week out is what some guy standing on a platform gives to them. And I urge you, may that never be true of you or as us as a church. May we all be heavy in the Word of God, now yes, but alone during the week, so that we don't drift away from what Jesus has taught. Jesus alerts his disciples here that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you look at verses 21 through the rest of chapter 5, verse 48, that is going to be Jesus' application to his warning in Matthew 5.20. And this morning we're going to look at the first one, and it is over murder and anger. And Jesus, in essence... Jesus, in essence, is trying and is, and is going to succeed in reforming his disciples. And it took a reformation in the 1500s as well. He's trying to reform his disciples to understand the law of God rightly. And I pray that if there needs to be any reformation in us this morning, that God grants it to us through these words of Christ as well. So let's look at the text. You've heard that it was said to those of old, and then he says this, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Let's just break this down for a moment. Why is murder wrong? What is murder? Let's understand this before we get to the heart of Jesus' message. Murder involves human beings, not animals, not plants or trees. We don't murder deer during deer season. We kill deer, right? We don't murder plants and trees, okay? We only murder when we take the life of a human being. Murder was the very first human-to-human sin. Did you think about that? You go to Cain and Abel, it's the first sin that's committed from one man to another. Adam and Eve sinned against God directly, not one another. They didn't wrong one another, although the impact of it was. But murder is the very first human-to-human sin. Listen to Genesis 4, 8 through 10. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood 
is crying to me from the ground. So God has established a code of law that man is to live by. And that code, he declared within it that murder is wrong. In Proverbs 6, he writes this. There are six things that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And he goes on to name the others. Hands that shed innocent blood. And so God has consistently from day one been against this idea of murder. But at the heart of it, that's that's fine. God has said murder is wrong, but at the heart of it. Why is murder wrong? We, we don't need to gloss over it and say murder's wrong. God said it, so let's don't do it. We need to understand the depth of murder and what it really and truly is. So I take you to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where we get the account of God creating. And on the sixth day, he made man. And what does it say about the man that he made? That man is made in his image. And in his likeness, he made them male and female in his image. So a human being, like nothing else God created, is an image bearer of God. And when murder is committed, when a human life is taken, that is an assault on the image of God. That's why it's not wrong to kill an animal. In fact, animal killing was prescribed in the Bible, right? Through the whole sacrificial system. But it's wrong to take a human life because only humans are made in the image of God. In Genesis 9, 6, God says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, because God made man in his own image. So God prescribes a death penalty for a man who sheds the blood of a man. Only because that man was made. In the image of God. Now we have to be careful with this. We don't want to take this too far because not all killing of human beings is wrong. We don't have time to unpack all of these, but think about it. There is capital punishment. God just prescribed it in Genesis 9 6. There is capital punishment, and it is not wrong in that scenario to take the life of a human being, we believe, as biblical Christians. We have to be very careful with that. But that is not wrong. There's also just war. There are scenarios where God called Israel to go into battle against other nations and he ordered them to wipe every human being out, to snub their life because they were defiant against their creator. But it was God that instructed them to take those lives. There is a just war scenario where we are right to go fight and we do it to preserve the lives of image bearers. I think it's right to kill in justifiable, legitimate self-defense. We have to be so careful with this, do we not? But to protect the life of this person from that person is a worthy and noble and godly thing to do. So this is not a declaration against all killing of human beings. It is a declaration against the premeditated killing of an image bearer of God for no reason. And so we have here Something that shows us that it is only God who can decree that a life should be taken. No man can make that decision on his own. So now we look at at what Jesus does with this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. 
But watch Christ now. He says, but I say to you, whoa. I just want you to picture being on this mount with the disciples and all the crowds that have huddled around and they're hearing Jesus quote from the Old Testament law and then he says, but, uh uh-oh, whatever's going to come after that word, be careful, right? But I say to you, whoa, this is radical. This is teaching like they've never heard before. In fact, if you look at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew seven twenty eight and 29, it says the crowds were astonished at what Jesus taught, for he taught with an authority like not even their scribes had. People are stunned at what Jesus is saying to them because he is now saying the law says this, but I say this. So what is he doing here? Is he negating the Old Testament law? No, that's why we read verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law. Did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So Jesus is not negating the Old Testament law. What Jesus is doing is correcting their shallow and perhaps our shallow understanding of the law. We, we come up short when we apply the laws of God to our lives. And Jesus is saying, I want to take this law and I want to show you what it means, yes, to the level that you think, but I want to show you far beyond that what this law is really all about. And we have here Jesus driving the law of God down to the heart level. Not the surface, not the facade, not the fleshly level, but driving it all the way down deep inside of us into our hearts. And so let's look at, at what he says here about anger. Because he says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And everyone who says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We defined murder. Let's define anger. What is anger and why is anger wrong? Anger is the emotion that leads to murder, right? No one murders out of joy. Maybe the deranged one-person exception every now and then, but no one murders out of joy. It's out of anger that one murders. No, murder is the, is the outgrowth of anger. Anger is the trigger mechanism for murder. Anger is the heart condition that precedes the fleshly act of murder. I want to take you back to Cain and his murder of his brother Abel. Listen to this in Genesis 4, 3 through 7. In the course of time, this is what leads up to the murderous act of Cain. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And listen to this. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Anger preceded murder. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Huge words here. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Its desire is for you. Anger is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. And the sin of anger finds its fullest manifestation in murder. In murder. So he's saying, you're angry right now. I need you to stop this, Cain, because if you don't, it's wanting to devour you down here in the act of murder of your brother. And I believe that about all the sins that we struggle with. They start out as light, subtle temptations. But you need to understand that every sin that you are faced with, lust, envy, greed, desire for fame, anger, Every one of these temptations has at its heart a desire for you to do the ultimate act that those point to. So lust has embedded in it the ultimate temptation of adultery. Greed has as its ultimate destination theft. Anger has as its ultimate destination for you murder. And God says, it is crouching at your door. Rule over it. Do not let it consume you. Anger, we see from the Bible, is hatred for another person. And hatred is murder. Listen to 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Wait a minute. Seriously? Hatred is called murder in 1 John 3.15. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So anger and murder both are liable to judgment, as Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount section. Both are liable to judgment. Both have the same end and both have the same outcome. And then look at what Jesus does. He advances the ball further in pointed applications. Then he says, and everyone who insults his brother. Some of your translations may say, and everyone who says raka. Okay? It's an Aramaic word. Can't really translate it into the English language. But the best guess is that this word is a deeply rooted insult against the person's, excuse me, against the person's intellect. To say raka to someone to insult one, someone is to insult their intelligence and basically say, you are not smart enough to follow the law. You are not smart enough to do this or that. And Jesus says that the person that insults his brother will be liable to the council, the Jewish councils that tried people for crimes of murder. And then he goes further and he says, everyone who says, you fool, which is an insult to a person's character. Everyone who says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. James 3.8 touches on this. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen to this. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. You hear the connection here? Everyone who is angry with his brother, everyone who insults his brother, everyone who says, you fool, we bless God with our tongues. We did that very well moments ago as we sang. But will we be ones that leave here and curse our brother with our tongue and say, Raka, 
you fool. We're saying that to one that is born and made in the image of God. And that's why murder is wrong. And that's why anger and heaping insults towards our brother is wrong. So said clearly here, Jesus tells us a heart of anger, a tongue that casts insults at our brother is committing the act of murder, spiritually speaking. And God cares not about whether or not you've actually killed a human being. Because he's saying you kill people in your heart and with your tongue. We need to take this word seriously this morning. I so identify with this passage. Jesus is equating anger and insults to murder. Jesus tells us that such statements come from the heart. Listen to this, Matthew 15, 8 through 20. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And he says they come from the heart. So Christ is driving the law of God against murder all the way down to our hearts. Now look what he says. The one who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The one who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And the one who says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. These are not progressive punishments. These aren't different levels of punishment that we get. Jesus is giving us different examples and calling us out on different things that he knows that we do that are murderous. Being angry in our heart towards our brother, he knows we do this. Okay, Heaping the insult... He knows we do this. Calling someone a fool, even thinking someone to be a fool. He knows we do this. And he's saying that all of these are liable to the judgment, to the wrath of God. And the capstone is, he says, we will be liable to the hell of fire. Many of your footnotes in your Bible may include a note here that says Gehenna. Okay? Gehenna, the the literal translation is the Gehenna of hell. And what we're talking about here is the Valley of Hinnom. The Greek word for Hinnom is Gehenna. And that is a reference that Jesus is making to this burning, perpetual, incinerating trash heap southwest of the city of Jerusalem. And he's saying that if we are guilty of murderous acts in our heart and with our tongues, we are liable to the Gehenna of fire. We are deserving of being heaped in this trash dump that burns without end. And listen to this. This is fascinating. There is a worm. There was a loathsome kind of worm which dwelt in the valley of Hinnom. And maybe you've heard Jesus, you've heard this verse before, Mark 9, 47 and 48. Jesus says, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In this valley of Hinnom, in this Gehenna, southwest of Jerusalem, The trash is thrown, it's lit on fire, and it burns 
without end. The fire is never quenched. And within this trash dump is a worm that is next to impossible for people to kill. The person who is murderous in his heart, the person who is murderous with his tongue, is the worm that cannot be killed in the fire that cannot be quenched. This is a picture of hell, of eternal judgment, the eternal wrath of God poured out on those who are murderers, who defy the law of God and snub out the image of God in those that he's made, whether physically or whether spiritually. There's an eternal weight that's being spoken here by Jesus. He will not die and the fire will not be quenched. That's hell. That's hell. And Jesus is saying, don't go here. Let's go to the heart and stop the murder now. Now, let's be careful. Because just like I said, not all killing of human beings is wrong. Just war, capital punishment, defending innocence, okay? Not all of it is wrong. And likewise, not all anger is wrong. You've heard in Ephesians, right? Do not let your anger, do not be angry. Be angry and do not sin. We know that verse, right? How do you, how can you be angry and not sin when Jesus says anger is murder? There is such a thing as righteous anger. In fact, Jesus demonstrated righteous anger, did he not? Let me take you to the temple. He goes into Jerusalem and enters into the temple and they've turned it into a den of robbers and thieves and they're trading and he gets a whip, right? And he turns the tables up and he runs everybody out, including the livestock. And it says his disciples remembered, zeal would consume me for your house. Jesus was consumed with anger because people had wronged God the Father by turning his temple, his house, into a den of robbers. That's a righteous anger. Jesus was not angry because his personal rights were violated. He was angry on behalf of God, the one who should have been worshipped in that place. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand in Mark, I think, 3, 1 through 5. And the Pharisees scoffed at him and accused him for healing on the Sabbath. And the scriptures say that Jesus was angered at those Pharisees. So has Jesus violated his own command here? Or how about Matthew 23, 16 through 17? Listen to this. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides, he's speaking to the Pharisees. If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. He's accusing them of saying that. And then he says this in verse 17. You blind fools. Wait a minute. Everyone who says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, to the Gehenna of fire. Wait, is Jesus contradicting his teachings here? Well, no, this is a righteous anger. He is interceding on behalf of God with these men, and he is calling them to no longer offend God. They are blind guides. God has provided them to his people, and they are distracting people from God. They are distracting them from the laws that they are proclaiming to these people on behalf of God. So Jesus was not angry over his personal rights being violated. He was angry at their offense to his father. 
You know, we tend to become angry when our honor is violated, don't we? We're quick with the trigger, man. You wrong me, and I'm going to be in your grill quick because I am going to defend you. I'm a competitor, and you cannot get away with wronging me. But we don't tend to be as angry when we see evil in the world. Our anger is short-fused, maybe, but it dissipates pretty quickly. Are we indignant like Jesus is when we see evil in the world? That would be a righteous anger. I think last Sunday we are indignant at what happened in the Supreme Court last week. But is that burned off? Yet somebody's cut us off on the highway this last week, and we're still inside mad about that, aren't we? Because that's against me. I feel that very personally. Even when we are angry over the evil in the world, we're prone to have an arrogant anger because people don't believe like we think they ought to, or they don't believe like us. They have a competing belief system. And so we can be cut off in the grocery line or the highway. We can be snubbed in minor ways, even unintentional ways. And we are quick to be angry at personal offenses against us, but we're slow to be angered over those things that are against God and his word. There is a righteous anger. Jesus demonstrated a righteous anger for us. And we need to be careful in how we justify our anger in moments like this. So let me conclude with this. A vast majority of people like this law, you shall not murder. Have you thought about that? You take the world population... There's very few percentage-wise murders in the world, right? Everybody seems in general to honor this law. Everybody embraces this law and likes this law. But Jesus says anger is murder. And if you follow the math here, then you say everybody is a murderer. What does that do for you this morning? Here's a guy standing on a platform with a microphone on calling me a murderer. That's the truth, if we believe what Jesus has said. Everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother is liable to the council. And everyone who says, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. There have been countless murderers in the world. And I understand clearly the human condition because I am under its influence. I stood here... Weeks ago, and the hardest sermon I've preached to you yet is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember standing right here and saying, You cannot follow me when I preach this sermon because I am not the picture of meekness. I have not mastered meekness. If I'm any good to you and for the Lord... I'm going to say, you follow Christ in meekness. Because I cannot be meek like he's calling for. I stand here this morning and I say the same thing to you. I am a person who is prone to anger. I remember the search committee and the elders in the interview process. Come on, Edward, now tell us. Get, get, get bear with us. What, what sins do you struggle with? Because you are human, right? Imagine if I would have said, ah, really nothing. (laughs) 
You wouldn't believe that. I told that search committee and I told the elders, you need to know the sin that I struggle with the most is this one, anger. I'm not a screamer, not a cusser. I don't insult people out loud, but in my heart, I can internally combust over the starting of a lawnmower, right? That could set me off. Now, I haven't murdered a lawnmower because it doesn't have a soul. But I can do this with people in my life. I struggle with this. And I had to study this all this week. I had a hard week preparing this sermon. And I've had a hard time delivering this sermon because I am a murderer. Are you with me on this? We are murderers. We have murderous hearts. We have murderous tongues. We have tongues that are quick to shed blood. And Jesus tells us that there is something that we deserve for this, and it's called judgment. The bottom line is, every one of us in this room is guilty of this. And that's really bad news, isn't it? It's really bad news. And I'm sorry I had to come to stand and tell you this morning some bad news about you. But I've got good news. And we're not going to leave here without talking about the good news. We can't. We can't end the sermon and pray and walk out of here victorious and ready to fight for the kingdom of God tomorrow, can we? We have to talk about something that has happened. And here's what's happened. There's this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. So here's the good news. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every iota and every dot, every smallest portion of the law of God to perfection. And Jesus Christ, as I said last Sunday, is the great substitute. He stood in our place and he took the wrath of God, the judgment that God says is here deserving of the person who is murderous, physically and in the heart. He took the wrath of God. He went through the Gehenna of fire on our behalf. He never was sinfully angry. He was only righteously angry. And he hung on a cross and he endured the wrath of God. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death forever, defeating murder and anger forever. And God says in Romans 10, 9, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, here we go with the heart again, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you finish it for me. What does he say? You will be saved. You will not have to go through the Gehenna of fire, the judgment, the counsel. And so there's this truth in substitution that goes like this. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus just said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And here he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that he could be our righteousness in God. So the only way we are righteous, the only way our righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees is that we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Not a man, not a concept, not a movement. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so Jesus is our source of forgiveness for murder. Your murder and my murder is washed clean in the forgiveness of Christ, and it can only be found in Him. And so the question this morning is, do you believe in Christ? And have you been forgiven through Christ for your murder? And then the last thing, and we'll part with this. If you have entrusted your life to Jesus Christ and submitted to Him, you believe and you profess. You still struggle with this flesh, right? I am saved by Christ. I am counted righteous in Him, even though I am not righteous in and of myself. So how am I to wage the battle against this desire, this urge within me to be angry? Because I've got to do something. I can't just say, I'm righteous in Christ, and so now I'm free to do whatever I want to do. That's not how we live. I've got to be engaged in this battle against anger and murder. And here's what we're told in James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and do this. Listen. And do this. Receive with meekness the implanted word. How do we fight against this sin of anger and murder? We go to the word of God and we implant it within us. And we pray it back to God and we obey it every waking moment that we have. So I'm back to the beginning. You have heard that it was said to those of old... I don't want you to be a people that, that's heard it said. I want you to be a people that have read it for yourselves. And that have ingested it yourselves. If all you get is this every Sunday morning, you're in trouble. Some Sunday mornings I bring my A game and some Sunday mornings I bring my B game. I'm a fallen man. If you're dependent upon me, you're going to be anemic. You're going to have no iron in your blood. But if you draw from this personally in your own private time, you will be saved. You will be sanctified and purified and you will be able to live out the commands that Jesus is giving us. Because you will meet with him and his righteousness will become yours through faith. So may we be a people. May you be a people that receives this word this morning and goes and dips into it more the rest of this week on your own. I pray that for you. And it's a privilege to stand before you and proclaim it. But you would thrill me oh so much more if you came to me during the week and showed me what you had encountered on your own. Let's pray.